All right. Well, thank you, Michael, uh, for that introduction. Um, I am uh, in uh, sales as a profession, and so I give a lot of presentations. And sometimes, whether it's over the phone or it's in person, my boss will come up to me beforehand and say, are you nervous? And I'll, I'll of course, say no, because I want to be tough. And then he'll say, well, you should be. And uh, so I was about to open up and say, well, I've been much more encouraged uh, you know, as I've been preparing to give uh, this presentation, but now we get up here and we talk about stoning me after the sermon, so I'll have to come up with a new intro. But uh, greetings uh, to all of you. Excited to have you here, uh, whether you've been here uh, for a long time or whether uh, this is uh, one of your first times uh, coming here. As I was thinking about how to introduce uh, this passage and kind of get to an introduction for this sermon, a lot of different things uh, came uh, to mind and certainly had this fantasy in my head of me giving this really dramatic introduction that was just really sharp and really uh, theological and very profound, and you guys all sitting there and saying, wow, this is an amazing man, we should make him a deacon. And I'd be like, absolutely, that's what I was thinking. But uh, uh, just even in the recent days, I was uh, uh, really, I feel urged just to share my love for the community as I get started uh, this morning. I've been coming to Genesis for about four years uh, now since I got out of school uh, in 2007, and it's really been a place for me to grow and be encouraged and certainly be really blessed by the people uh, that are here. I've just, uh, in so many ways, just been blessed by God with the people that are in my life, and a lot of that uh, has happened here. So just know, uh, as I preach today, that I love you guys, uh, even those of you uh, that I don't know particularly well. And uh, as Michael mentioned, I've been in the deacon process uh, for the last uh, two uh, years or so, a little bit less. Uh, so it's been a good process, and that has been a huge blessing as well. Uh, just as I was thinking about uh, how I've grown uh, through that process, it's been an opportunity for me to grow uh, certainly in my understanding of God and who God is. Uh, one of the big areas where I've grown has been my understanding of the church and what God intends for the church to be. Uh, and then certainly in my understanding of Scripture as well, too, and how to tell God's story throughout Scripture. So that's been a huge blessing for me going through the deacon process. And then I've also been blessed uh, to really go through the process with some great people, uh, whether it's the people that uh, were in process with me to become deacons, whether it's just uh, uh, been uh, with uh, Michael Davis, uh, who has met with me just about weekly uh, for the last two years as we've gone through this process, uh, whether it's been some of the other elders who have spoken into this more recently. So just uh, starting off, hugely blessed to be in this community and uh, just to have gone through the deacon process so far. Uh, I'm excited to take a look at Romans 14. Uh, we're going to take a look at uh, 14, 13 to 23. Uh, real quickly, where we've been recently uh, in Romans, uh, Romans 12, uh, Paul starts to get into some of the practical outworkings uh, of the gospel. And he talks about how we're supposed to be submitting ourselves to God and serving humbly in our community and using our gifts in the community. Uh, later on in 12, he talks about having sincere love for one another and blessing those that persecute you. Uh, Romans 13 uh, talks about submitting to authorities and paying our debts and loving one another. And then in the first part of uh, chapter 14, we learned last week that we ought not to judge one another, and that was set in a particular context there. Uh, so one of the things that's interesting and encouraging to me about what Paul's doing here is he's really uh, giving us a lot of information about how we ought to live with one another in community. Uh, the Christian faith is not something that we do as individuals. Uh, we don't do it as a lone ranger Christians, so to speak. And so we are in community with other people. Uh, but certainly that can be challenging at times, and that doesn't, uh, it isn't something that we always do well um, just automatically. I know that I don't just roll out of bed in the morning ready to bless people uh, ready to encourage people all the time. And so I'm encouraged uh, that Paul recognizes that and gives us instruction on how to live with one another in community. 
Uh, I'll just read through the passage here, and uh, then we'll pray and really uh, get into the details. But Romans 14, uh, 13 to 23 reads like this, starting in verse 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith, and everything that is not from faith is sin. And so as we go through uh, this passage today, there'll be three main points that we'll take a look at. Uh, you know, first of all, we see there that we should avoid placing stumbling blocks in front of our brothers and sisters in Christ. So we'll take a look at that and what that really means. Uh, number two, we should keep an appropriate perspective about what the Christian life is all about. And then thirdly, we should seek mutual edification. Um, so we'll talk about uh, what that means. So I'm just going to pray here Again, uh, just for our time in the Word this morning, and then we'll jump into that in some more detail. Lord, thank you uh, very much uh, for your Word uh, that you have provided uh, for us. Thank you that we have the opportunity uh, this morning in your presence to learn from your Word. And uh, thank you as well for your Holy Spirit that teaches us through the Word. Uh, I pray uh, that as we go through the Scripture this morning that you would have something here for each and every one of us, uh, that we would walk out of here challenged uh, but also encouraged um, you know, with the things that you have for us. So Lord, just uh, be blessing our time as we go through uh, Romans 14 uh, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to kind of start our time uh, this morning with a question. And that question is, do we really understand the impact that we have on other people? I'll repeat that again. Do we understand the impact that we have on people day to day? I think a follow-up question we could ask to that is, do we even care? Do we even care about the impact that we might have on other people? Is that something that's on our radar? Are we just going about our day, uh, you know, saying, look, John, I have enough trouble getting through the day and taking care of myself. I don't have time to think about how I might impact other people. Or is that something that we're actually conscious of? The reality is that we all have a big impact on the people around us. And that's true not just of leaders uh, in the church or in the workplace. I think it's easy for us to think conceptually that, well, Michael Davis has an impact on people. He's up here preaching. He meets with people. He counsels people. But the reality is that we all have an impact on people, and we need to decide uh, what to do with that opportunity and that responsibility. Again, the three main points for the, uh, this morning's talk, we should avoid placing stumbling blocks in front of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, we should keep an appropriate perspective about what the Christian life is truly about, and we should seek mutual edification. So we'll jump right into uh, that first point there, and in doing so, just want to give a quick overview of what we covered last week when uh, Zach preached uh, very well on Romans 
uh, 14, 1 to 12. Uh, but in that section, Paul discusses the issue of judgment and uh, is basically telling uh, the people in Rome that they should not judge one another for a number of reasons, but specifically because Jesus is the one who judges uh, people. We should not be judging one another. And that discussion was set in the specific context of the uh, eating of meat or not eating of meat. That was the situation in Rome at the time. Uh, you had a group of people that were not eating meat, likely because it was meat that was sacrificed to idols or could have potentially been sacrificed to idols. You didn't know, and so they said we should not eat meat. And then you had another group of believers that were eating meat. And Paul kind of describes them as the strong believer and the weak believer, the strong believer being those that were eating meat because they had a correct understanding that food in and of itself is neutral based on the teachings of Jesus and that what I eat does not bring me closer to God or push me further away. And then you had the weak believer, and it's important to note that they were still believers, uh, but they had a perspective that, uh, that was not correct at that time. And so Paul uh, instructs them uh, not to be judgmental of one another. And then in uh, chapter uh, 14, verse 13, he continues the discussion, and he says, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. So immediately as we read that, I think the question that we ask is, what is Paul talking about here when he's talking about not placing a stumbling block uh, in front of a fellow uh, believer? And so you know, one interpretation that you'll often see of that, and I think this is a fair one, is that you know, as Christians, we shouldn't be doing things that could potentially tempt other Christians to sin. And so the example you'll often hear on that is the matter of alcohol. And you know, if I'm a Christian that drinks alcohol and does so without abusing it, even in that case, I shouldn't be drinking alcohol in front of someone that was maybe a former alcoholic or something like that, because that could uh, cause that person to stumble and maybe return to that sinful behavior. And so when we think about you know, what it means to cause someone to stumble or not cause someone to stumble, that is one way of looking at that verse. And I think you know, that's a fair principle to apply. Um, I think there's another element that Paul is talking about here, though, and that is the matter of conscience. If you look at this in the context of the situation, you see that what was at hand was not a sinful thing. It was the matter of eating meat. And so the concern here was not that you know, the strong believers might convince the weak believers to start eating meat, and that would be some terrible thing. Rather, what was at issue was the matter of that weak believer's own conscience before God. And so the important thing was that the strong believer not do anything uh, that could force the weak believer to violate their own conscience. And certainly it could probably go the other way as well, too, where the weak believers in this case, again, going back to the people that did not eat meat, should not be convincing you know, maybe the stronger believer to not eat meat against their own conscience. So it's a matter of conscience here. And I think what we can kind of learn and apply from that is that when we uh, take a look at our own freedom in Christ, and by the way, we'll talk about what that really means in just a minute, what I mean by freedom in Christ. When we think about our own freedom, we ought not to be doing things that would negatively impact another believer's relationship with God. Another question you might ask and say, okay, John, you've explained uh, to us a little bit what this means in this context. What does that really mean for me today? What are some modern examples of situations where I might cause someone to stumble? How do we put this in the context you know, of the 21st century world here? And just a couple of examples came to mind. One is we could stick with uh, kind of along the theme of the example that Paul mentions here, which is the matter of eating and drinking. Um, I know kind of in my experience, even today, I've known Christians who have not eaten meat for various moral reasons. They've had some issue with the way that Animals are killed in factories or something like that, and so they choose not to eat meat because they have a moral inhibition of that. Uh, certainly an issue with alcohol, again, could be another example. Some people drink, some people don't. They'll have different perspectives on that. Um, another example might be uh, just 
perspectives on the media and what music you listen to, what you watch on TV, what movies you watch. You know, do you go on Facebook or is Facebook the most evil thing that was ever created in the history of the world and we should avoid it at all costs? Uh, those types of uh, perspectives. We can think of other things as well. It might be what we do with money and how we you know, use the money that God's given us and different perspectives on that. It might be other things to do with tradition. You know, as people come into the Genesis community from different church traditions, they may have things that they would bring with them that are not necessarily sinful or wrong, but are also not explicitly biblical things that we're told we have to do. And so we might confront some of that. But regardless there, I think the application is that we ought to be sensitive and be discerning uh, in the things that we do and how they might impact uh, other believers or other people that would come here. And and just to give a personal example um, for myself, one of the things that I've really had to work on over the last few years is just watching what I say, uh, particularly within a group context. So those that know me well know that I like to goof around, I like to joke, I like to be funny. Uh, Can't tell you how many people came up to me this week and said, oh, you're preaching this Sunday, I bet it's going to be really funny. Um, but uh, so I like to have a sense of humor and have fun, but one of the things that I've noticed is that I can also tend to set the tone for a conversation in a group setting, and if I'm being overly sarcastic or overly critical, or even if you look at the opposite end of the spectrum, if I'm just kind of down and depressed and grumpy, that can really impact uh, the attitudes of the people around me, and it can sometimes set things off on a, on a bad path there. And, uh, you know, in addition to that, I think, You know, if I'm overly joking, if I'm overly flippant, that maybe creates an environment where people feel like they can't share what they're really struggling with or what's really going on in their life. So that's been something that I've had to work on because it's a little bit sobering when you you hear someone else say something that's kind of rude or flippant or sarcastic and you're like, why did they say that? And then you realize that they're like copying you or they're saying that because they're trying to make you laugh or get good with you. And so that's been something I think over the last couple of years that I've had to work on just to share a personal example of what it might uh, mean to cause someone else to stumble. Ultimately, though, I would encourage you all to take this before God and consider what God would have for you in this scripture. Um, My goal here is not to give you a checklist of 25 different things that you can walk home with and say, okay, now I'm not going to do these things, or I'm going to do these things. Now I'm going to be all set. Uh, But but would certainly encourage you to sit with the scripture uh, as well. And I think we can all think of examples where we've been tripped up before by what someone else has done, or maybe, unfortunately, where we've uh, tripped up someone else, and so it ought to be something that we're aware of and praying about. And even though that might be challenging or difficult or annoying to us to really have to gauge our own liberty uh, and how that impacts the community, uh, I think Paul gives some good reasons here as to why we ought to do that. Uh, First of all, he points out uh, that putting a stumbling block in front of a brother or sister is not acting in love. He says in verse 15 here, If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, You are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. So one of the things that I I was reminded of as I read that was just that people have great value. People in our community have enormous value, and it's because Jesus died for them. And so we ought to consider them as more important than ourselves and our own personal liberty when when we think about them. And I would also say that it's easy to talk about loving someone Uh, when at the end of the day, we can go back and we can do what we want to do and we can engage in our own preferences. I think it's much more challenging to love someone when it somehow puts a damper on the things that we feel like we're allowed to do. And that's uh, definitely something that I've seen myself struggle with from time to time. So one reason why we need to be careful about not uh, causing other people to stumble um, is that doing so would not be acting in love. 
Uh, secondly, causing a fellow believer to stumble is just destructive in its very nature. Uh, we saw that in verse 15, but verse 20 also says, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. So what, do, so what do we mean here by destroying the work of God? Does that mean that if I cause someone to stumble, I'm going to be costing them their salvation or something like that? And the answer is no. You know, we believe that you know, if Jesus has a believer, uh, Jesus can't lose a believer. So we're not talking about a matter of someone losing their faith, but we are perhaps talking about stagnating someone's growth and uh, uh, getting to know God better if we cause them to stumble and having a negative effect that way. It can also create uh, sources of division within the broader community, you know, if we cause people to stumble as well, too. And uh, that is a destructive thing and something that we ought to be careful of. So two quick reasons there that Paul gives for why we should be careful not to cause another believer to stumble. A few other kind of observations uh, from this section before we move on to the second point. Uh, one is that perception matters when we live in community. Uh, in verse 16, it says, Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. And so again, we're reminded here that we're not these lone ranger Christians that go out and live faith in a vacuum and kind of do what we want to do. But sometimes we do need to be concerned with how the things that we do are perceived by other people in the community, you know, particularly if they're maybe less mature in their faith than we are. So that was another observation. And then also I wanted to point out that Paul's sense of freedom here, the freedom to eat meat, was something that was clearly based on the teachings of Jesus. Uh, in verse 14, he says, I am convinced, uh, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. And if we look at other places in Scripture, whether it's Mark 7 or Acts 10 or other places as well, we see, in fact, that that is consistent with the teachings of Jesus. You are able to eat meat. It is not what comes into the body that is evil, uh, Jesus says in Mark uh, 7, but sometimes what comes out of it. And so when we think about freedom in Christ, this is not a license to sin. It does not mean that we go out and we do whatever we want to do and we say, hey, I've got freedom in Christ, I'm good. Uh, but rather, Paul's conviction here on the matter of meat was something that was clearly based on his understandings of the teaching of Jesus. Run through a few other quick implications for us here. I'm not going to spend too much time on it, but uh, implication number one, applying what we've talked about today could require an attitude shift for us. Um, certainly, I'm someone that likes his own independence, likes to be able to do what he wants. I think from the time I was 12, I was excited about getting out of the house and going off to college and living on my own and doing my own thing. So it's something that I value uh, a lot. And so being a part of a broader community and saying, hey, what I do does impact other people uh, has had to be an attitude shift for me. Uh, one is that, uh, uh, number two is that we need to be generally aware of how our actions impact others. Going back to the original question, we, we may need to grow in our awareness of what we do and how it impacts other people. Third implication from this passage is the need to get to know people beyond a surface level. If we're going to be focused on and uh, work towards not tripping people up, then we need to know what trips people up. And so we need to engage with people at a deeper level and get to know people. Um, and that may not be something that we can do you know, just uh, once a month for five minutes after church on Sunday. Uh, implication number four on matters of conscience, uh, do not be constantly trumpeting your own position. And so I think we've all seen this where you have an argument with someone or a debate with someone on a particular topic where you both have opposing opinions and then you kind of go off and leave but the argument doesn't stop there. You know, it goes on for weeks and weeks and weeks and every time you have an opportunity to get a little dig in at the other person and kind of show him that your side is correct, 
you take that opportunity and you do it. So that's not something that we should be doing. And then lastly, uh, getting back uh, to what I just talked about, you know, I think we're challenged here to hold real convictions that are biblically based. Again, freedom in Christ does not mean that we go out and we look at what the culture is doing or what the culture is saying about a certain thing and then say, okay, I'm free to do that. I've got freedom in Christ. But rather, we should be holding convictions um, on, uh, on uh, things that are based on Scripture. And I think that's a challenge for those of us that would you know, uh, put ourselves in maybe the strong believer uh, category there, uh, maybe pridefully so, but would put ourselves in that category and say, I've got this figured out. So to tr- transition here uh, in the time that we have remaining this morning, uh, talking about kind of points two and three here, uh, I think one of the things that I'm very appreciative about how Paul writes and the way he teaches here is that he's not simply prohibitive in what he tells us not to do, but he gives us positive encouragement on things to focus on. And so he's not just telling us here, don't cause fellow believers to stumble, don't cause people to stumble. He's also giving us something to do in a positive fashion. I think that's uh, typical of Paul's teaching if you look throughout Scripture. So the second thing that we'll focus on today is that as Christians, we ought to have a right perspective about what the Christian life is truly about. Romans 14, uh, verses 17 to 19 say this, uh, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating, and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. And so the three things that Paul uh, exhorts Christians to remember are part of what the Christian walk uh, should be like, are that of righteousness, peace, and joy, and that these things are made possible by the Holy Spirit. We stop for a minute and think about what it means uh, what, what righteousness means. There are a couple of different aspects to that that came to mind uh, as I was preparing for today. One is that the righteousness refers to our own standing before God. Uh, you know, if we put our faith uh, in Jesus Christ, one of the cool things is that God now kind of sees us through the lens of Jesus and his righteousness, um, and we're made right before God. And so one of the realities of the Christian walk is that we are in right relationship with God um, through our faith in Jesus Christ. And we see that in Romans uh, 3, Uh, verses 21 and 22, it says, Now, but apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So that's one aspect of righteousness in the day-to-day Christian walk is that uh, God now sees us as righteous because of the work of Christ. Secondly, though, we see that we continue to grow in righteousness and to grow in character and become more like Christ as we continue to grow as Christians, and this is the, pro- uh, the process that's often known as sanctification, where through the work of the Spirit and you know, through the encouragement of others, we are able to grow. And so that's another aspect of the uh, Christian walk. And so again, what Paul's doing here is he's transitioning from this conversation of eating meat and not causing your brother or sister to stumble to really, in effect, be saying, hey guys, you're not even focusing on the right things here if you're getting all bent out of shape and arguing about these things. That's not what the Christian life is all about. And so one of the things that he says it is all about is righteousness. Second uh, thing that Paul brings up here is the matter of peace. And so as believers, as Christians, uh, again, there are two different aspects of peace. One is that we have peace with God uh, through the work of Jesus, but also that we should uh, be at peace with one another. Romans 12, 18 says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So we saw that a couple of weeks ago. And so I think a question for us uh, this morning is, are we experiencing that peace in our lives 
on a day-to-day basis. I think it's amazing sometimes that we live in such a great country and in such a blessed country uh, as the United States where we don't have to worry about a lot of the things that other people in the world have to worry about, and yet our lives still are not represented by a sense of peace. Uh, We have conflict with one another. We get stressed out by things that really aren't that important. So I think a question for us is, are we uh, experiencing that peace in our Christian walk? And if not, are there things that I maybe need to change? Are there relationships that I need to repair? Um, Are there things that I need to get rid of so that I can have that right perspective? And then thirdly, we'll talk for a minute about uh, the attitude of joy and having a joyful attitude. If you just look in the dictionary, I I liked the definition of joy that was given there. It says, the emotion of great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. Keen pleasure or elation. And so, one of the things I liked about that definition is that it is that emotion of happiness. It is that positive attitude. But it's that because we have a source of that that's exceptionally good or satisfying. And in this case, it's our relationship with God. Um, and so I think when we look at uh, the attitude of joy, you know, we have an opportunity here this morning to check our own attitudes. How are, are our attitudes every day? Do we walk around with a dour look on our face? Or are we excited to be in relationship with God and in relationship with people? and to be continuing to grow. And then certainly as we look at these three things, whether it's righteousness, peace, or joy, I think we would all recognize that this isn't something that we can just do on our own strength. As I mentioned before, we don't just wake up in the morning ready to be righteous, you know, tailor-made to be righteous, or tailor-made to be at peace with people, or joyful. Um, It's something that God has to do in us, and so that brings us to the role of the Holy Spirit here in the Christian walk. And uh, that's something that that Paul highlights here. And if we look back uh, just to the end of John, when Jesus uh, is sitting with his disciples at the Last Supper in John 14 and and later on in 16, he tells his disciples that although he is going away, the Holy Spirit will be coming to us and uh, dwelling within us. And he says that the Spirit will convict us and guide us into truth, uh, that the Spirit will teach us uh, from the Word, uh, that the Spirit will give us peace, and that through the Spirit, Uh, God has the ability to communicate his truth through us. So there's certainly other aspects of that, but those are a few of the points there. And so, you know, the truth is that as we uh, continue to grow in our relationship with Christ, and as the Spirit is continually at work in us, these things are becoming more of a reality uh, day to day. And instead of being people that might cause someone else to stumble, uh, we are now people that are building people up. And that takes us to our third point here. Uh, which is that as uh, believers uh, looking uh, to live well with other people, uh, is that we should be seeking mutual edification. Um, And in verse uh, 19 of uh, chapter 14, Paul says that we should do everything or make every effort to seek peace and mutual edification. And so what does that mean? Well, edification is the process of building someone up. We think of what an edifice is, that's a building. And so edification is that process of building. And in our context here, Uh, there's also kind of a moral and spiritual component to that. Edification is not, you know, me just saying, hey, Jeremy, that's a really nice shirt that you have on today. You look great, man. Um, But it's a matter of actually encouraging and building one another up uh, in our relationship with Christ. Uh, We see one example of that uh, that I thought was a good example. At one point, I had uh, this verse memorized. But we see an example of this in uh, 2 Peter uh, chapter 1. Uh, Peter is writing to his audience, and he tells them, for this very reason... Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control 
and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in an increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we can see here uh, that Peter is uh, encouraging the believers to continually be growing in their relationship with God and continuing to be adding these good qualities on top of one another. And uh, certainly, uh, I experienced the process of edification uh, this week as I was just preparing to preach, just in the encouragement that I received from many of you, whether it was a phone call, an email, a message on Facebook, a text, uh, things of that nature. And I have been a real benefit of your edification and encouragement to me over the past week, and I've been very blessed by that. I was going to read one example uh, that I got in an email uh, from my community group leader, uh, Joe Gore, earlier this week. And I am breaking all sorts of uh, sermon policy here because I did not ask Joe uh, prior if I could have permission to read this. Joe, I left certain parts of the email out because you talked about one of your favorite songs and I didn't want to give out that type of confidential information uh, without your permission. Uh, But uh, Joe sent me this email earlier this week and I thought it was incredibly encouraging to me um, and an example of of a way that we can encourage one another. So Joe sent me this email and it reads, We were all praying for you the other night at community group, and we mentioned you in our prayers. Michael reminded us that you were preaching for the first time on Sunday. I have no doubt that you'll do well. Despite being nervous and or scared, I know you'll do well because there's a greater strength in you and in us that empowers us to do God's work. It's God that equips us to do his work, not our studying, not our education, not our gifts and talents. The best part about preaching is that you're preaching someone else's words, not your own. The word of God is living and active and powerful. It will do what it's designed to do, despite who's bringing it forward. It kind of takes the pressure off us when you think about it. It's not our words, but God's. By his Holy Spirit, the word will perform, which means that we don't have to. So be encouraged as you prepare for Sunday. I know it will be great because God's word is great. You're just the messenger of his good news. Of course, you have to prepare and study, and in that I wish you the best. Just remember that God's word will do what God's word does, despite which one of us sinners are presenting it to the other sinners. Good luck, man. So I was just incredibly encouraged uh, by that email. Thank you, Joe, and thank you to everyone else who encouraged me uh, this week. But the question is, who wouldn't want to be part of a community uh, that encourages one another like that? It's just a huge blessing. And you know, as we move forward here at Genesis and we think about planning additional churches and we think about impacting uh, the city of Boston for Christ, there are a lot of different things to consider and we're starting to talk about them now. All good things, things like you know, what's our strategy going to be from a real estate perspective? Do we bring on additional staff? Do we move to new services? Uh, but it just struck me reading uh, this this week that a lot of our effectiveness in doing ministry here in this area is going to be what type of community people find when they walk through that front door? Do they find a community that's encouraging one another, that's committed to one another, uh, that's involved in one another's lives, that's building one another up like we saw Joe do with me this past week? If so, I'll ask the question again, who wouldn't want to be a part of a community like that? So just to conclude here, uh, today we talked about uh, three things that we can do uh, to continue to grow into a community that encourages one another and builds one another up. Again, we should not be putting stumbling blocks uh, in front of other people. We should keep an appropriate perspective of what the Christian life is all about. It's about righteousness and peace and joy in Christ. It's not about you know, going back and forth and arguing 
over disputable things, things that are not matters of sin. And then certainly we cannot do any of this within our own, oh, and then uh, thirdly, we should be building people up. And then lastly, we cannot do uh, any of this in our own strength, but we need the work of the Spirit. And as we just go out from here, I want to encourage us with one more thing. And that is that as we do these things, when it's challenging to get along with one another, and when we're tempted to tear someone down, or to judge someone, or to cause someone else to stumble, I would encourage us to keep our eyes on the example of Christ. I know that in my own life, that's really the thing about this faith that I can't get past, and that's the the love that Christ had for us, and the fact that he came down, uh, the Son of God, not only to be a man, uh, but actually a man that wasn't honored during his time here on earth. And I look at that humility, and in moments where I'm tired and I don't want to deal with people, or I want to judge someone, or I just want to do what I want to do, regardless of who else it might trip up, I think I'm challenged by Jesus' example. And I won't go very far into chapter 15, because Jeremy will be handling that next week and doing a great job, but I just thought one through three, uh, in one through three, Paul really sums up uh, well uh, uh, this point here. He says in uh, chapter 15, one to three, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. So as we face these challenges that come with living together in community, uh, let's keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. He was the son of God and he was humble enough to come down uh, to earth and die for us. And we should have uh, that same attitude of humility as we relate to one another.